Let me tell you about our spotlight sponsor. It's Grip Six. Right now, right now, there are there are people all over the country. Texas guy checking his fourth or fifth oil rig for the day, making sure the machinery is working. You know, in case they need to drill. A uh, thousand miles away in Iowa, farmer is out. You know, working in the working in the fields. Over in Florida, guy walking the uncrowded morning beaches, probably with a metal detector in search of treasures unknown. These people, they have one thing in common, and that is they're Americans, and they're also walking around in comfortable American socks made by Grip6. If you want socks that will keep your feet cool in the summer, warm in the winter, socks made with the latest in wool technology and made here in the USA, you got to get Grip6 socks. I love them. I wear them. I enjoy them. Stu, you wear Grip6 socks, do you not? Yeah, they have great the socks. The wallets are great. It's this great company. Yeah. All right, put your trust and hard-earned money into a company that does it right, right here in America. Grip6.com slash Beck. Grip6.com slash Beck. time can we just watch something that is just entertaining and not trying to brainwash me or my children can we not make everything about politics there is a new puritan movement afoot in america except it's not being done by the right or the christians well you're a christian puritan Well, now there is the rise of the new Puritans. I'm going to talk to Noah Rothman, who has just written a book about it. The the new movement that's sucking all of the fun and a life right out of America. Gosh, they're just such fun people. Noah Rothman joins us in just 60 seconds. First, Noriel Rubini just uh, came out. (laughs) Noriel Rubini, he's the guy who predicted the 08 crash. He was right on. Uh, and everybody goes, oh, he's Dr. Doom. It's not going to be so bad. And then six months later, oh, my gosh, the entire system could collapse. So he's right last time. Yesterday, he came out and said, hey, um, you know, I know everybody's happy about this uh, inflation reduction bill, but it's not going to do anything. In fact, it's going to make things worse. We're headed for a very severe recession, if not depression. It will last for years. And we could have wild, out-of-control inflation headed our way as well. (laughs) Well, thank you, Dr. Doom. That's great. So may I suggest you call Goldline right now. Don't know what it's going to take before people get on the bandwagon and go, you know, the dollar probably isn't that safe. 
and call Goldline. Goldline right now. They are offering um, 20 of the new one-ounce Ben Franklin Copper Rounds with every uh, Gold Legal Tender Bar that is uh, purchased. These Gold Legal Tender Bars are something that are credit card size. You can keep it in your wallet. It breaks it down into small pieces of gold, all done by the Canadian Mint, so it's trustworthy, and you can use it for trade in case that happens to be something that's in our future. I think it probably is. The bars always sell out fast, so don't wait to call. Call them right now. It's goldline.com. Their number is 866-GOLDLINE. 866-GOLDLINE. By the way, you can contact them today, and they'll also give you a free copy of Carol Roth's latest Goldline exclusive newsletter. We love Carol Roth. Goldline, 866-GOLDLINE. No Rothman. A guy who I think really gets it. Uh, he is the uh, just written the book, The Rise of the New Puritans, uh, The War on Fun. Really? Noah, welcome to the program. How are you, sir? Very well. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. You bet. You bet. So Stu and I are in the midst of uh, reading your book. Uh, we haven't got it all the way to the uh, end yet. But um, I, I, I have to ask you, do, do progressives know that they're almost embarrassingly unfun right now are they do they know this no they they absolutely don't they would reject the premise and they sort of uh recoil at the the assertion that they're pursuing some sort of a moral framework that they have imposed this moral framework on every aspect of life especially the apolitical aspects of life they don't see themselves as less fun less chill, uh, <laughs> less accommodating than their parents and grandparents. But they most certainly are. They're having less fun. They're having less sex. They're oh, enjoying I, life I, less than their elders. They're having less sex? Oh, yeah. You haven't gotten to that chapter? That's a good one. <laughs> no. Um, so that's, that is my very salacious chapter on sex and booze. It's, called, it's titled Temperance. All the chapters are organized around unimpeachable moral values. Because they are pursuing a moral ideal about how society should organize itself. So when you think of progressives, you don't think uh, they have sexual prescriptions, right? But if you dig into the literature around the many proliferating sexual identities, it's not about self-gratification or self-fulfillment. It's about the political program associated with these things. This has to pursue and advance a political agenda. And you couple that with the labyrinthine uh, consent requirements now in statute in places like California, but mostly in norms and college campuses. And you have this unnavigable uh, labyrinth that has been erected around um, consent, which is absent consent is obviously a crime. But we've created now real legal and moral and social consequences if a cue is misread or a signal is overlooked or it's just human behavior intervenes in this I, process, this complicated process. The result is less sex. People are reporting, especially young people are reporting, having much less casual intercourse than their parents did. Okay, I, I have to I have to tell you, first of all, it is a religion. What they're doing is a religion. So you've got Puritans absolutely right. Um, and they are imposing it on all of us. But I, I look at people who are like this and I think to myself, how could you not be just miserable if you believe all the things that they believe, it's just a life of misery. 
yeah, they don't see themselves as miserable, but they are making their compatriots miserable. Um, <laughs> maybe nine out of the 10 people I spoke with are um, who would most of them wouldn't go on the record for fear of consequences, saying the things that they actually think. But those who did, which is weird. Yeah, well, I mean, there are real social and, and professional consequences for going against this movement. It's not a big movement, but it punches way above its weight. And so these guys are Democrats. Um, they vote Democratic. They wouldn't vote Republican with a gun to their head. But they didn't get into the business of making delicious food and writing screenplays and doing broadcasting sports because they wanted to do politics. They don't. They've just been drafted into this movement, and it's sapping them of enthusiasm for their life's work, and they really, really resent it. No, can you go through so some of these? It, you have so many great examples in the book of of this type of thing. The hummus place well, is one. I'd like to hear about the burrito truck. Tell burrito about the truck, burrito okay. truck. A, a truck that was in the Pacific Northwest. These two women um, went down to Mexico, fell in love with the food, interviewed chefs, picked up some recipes, brought it back to the Pacific Northwest, and it was a profound success. They were very commercially successful. In fact, a lot of the people who are targeted by this movement are successful. And I think that Mm -hmm. their success engenders quite a bit of resentment. Um, But they brought it back to the Pacific Northwest and the media environment down there, which is beholden to this progressive set of ideas, just went about destroying the thing because they had stolen this heritage from um, from the the hardworking people of Mexico. They hadn't given them any credit. They weren't uh, giving them the proper remunerations they were due it's a very nebulous idea of what what they violated what prescriptions they ignored but this thing was destroyed these two women were driven out of business and their burrito truck which was fetid which was loved was uh was driven under um out of business uh in part i think also because it was so good but that they had violated some unspoken unwritten ideal uh about whatever cultural comp- uh, appropriation is, it's very difficult to define, but it's believed to be some form of theft as though culture is a, uh, a zero sum game and that it so, has been commodified in some way. When I, when I read that and I uh, thought about it, I, I had just seen the new Elvis movie. Have you seen the new Mel- Elvis movie? I haven't. I heard it's good. Uh, it's very, very good. Um, but it, Taught me something about Elvis I didn't know. I didn't know that he was so poor after his dad died that he and his mom lived in a black community in Memphis, which never happened. He was like the only kid in this white kid in this black community. So he grew up in that culture. He grew up with the music. That's why he moved the way he did. Um, and the at the time, the programmers of radio, many of them would have loved to t- play the black music, but they couldn't put a black man on the air. And when they heard his music, it was the black uh, culture and black music sung by a white guy. And, you know, it shows B.B. King and all of these legends who were friends of his going, man, take it, take it. I'm glad people are are listening to it. Now you would look at that and it would be cultural appropriation and they would hate. And I think they probably do hate Elvis and anybody like him because he was just stealing that. No, he wasn't. He was popularizing it. He was breaking a barrier. Yeah, popularizing it and and creating synthesis. Um, And there is this idea abroad that synthesis in music and culture and cuisine 
is some sort of form of theft. Is there needs to be uh, there's a racial essentialist element that's put to this that suggests that any creativity in uh, creating works of art and amalgamating and synthesizing various influences into some finished product uh, represents some form of attack on culture. Uh, even though what you just said is absolutely correct in, in art and food and in music, you're exposing new audiences to this thing. You're creating a, a broader understanding and acceptance of these cultural traits, albeit perhaps amalgamated, not necessarily adulterated. They confuse the two, probably deliberately. Um, but the expansion of and broadening of the exposure to these ideas, these cultural traits, uh, used to be something that we would celebrate and accept as, as an right. unadulterated good. Uh, it is not anymore. I know, I know there was a guy who I grew up listening to on the radio. He was very, very good. His name was Charlie Brown. He was uh, originally at uh, KJR in Seattle and then Cube. And I I studied at his feet. Uh, I was lucky enough to to work with him when I was very, very young. And I watched him and I talked to him. When I started doing my own show, I called him up and I asked him, hey, Charlie, can I can I steal this and this and this from you? And he just laughed and he said, and I think this is true with almost everything because it's not you're not living in a vacuum. And he said, Glenn, you steal from me. You've stolen twice. And that's what we don't understand, that it all is just kind of that's where you get your inspiration and you take it and you make it your own and you move, not stealing things word for word, et cetera, et cetera. Um, let me, uh, let me ask you, uh, because I'm, I'm watching, I mean, I know your, uh, your IQ is a lot higher than mine. And I don't know if you, if you're, uh, if you're watching like the marvelous Miss Maisel, which I think is fantastic. Um, but it centers around this woman in the 1950s, early 1960s, who wants to be a comedian. And uh, one of the running characters is Lenny Bruce. And right. Lenny Bruce would absolutely be in progressive jail right now if he lived today. And you had all of these great comedians that were there to push back on the man, whatever it was, they push back. These people like Ricky Gervais um, make it, I think, because they don't apologize and they don't stop. Can you talk a little bit about the effect of apology and what's happening in in comedy? Yeah, um, the very same uh, sentiments, policing of public morality that took aim at Lenny Bruce, at George Carlin, at Richard Pryor are at work today. The executors of this campaign uh, are not on the right. Um, they used to be. This, you know, the, the tendency that saw uh, something that would corrupt you and degrade society and innocent cultural fair used to be a tendency native to the right, uh, in part because we are all heirs to this puritanical tradition. It has found a home in both political coalitions over the years. Um, on When it comes to comedy, one of the things that you see now among this particularly puritanically inclined progressives is to emphasize the pain that someone had to endure in order for you to enjoy something as trite as a punchline. Um, you know, you see this in the fans of the, the comedian Hannah Gadsby, who's an anti-comic and who is funny when she wants to be. She doesn't always want to be. Sometimes she will build the same tension that would otherwise lead to a punchline and give you that release uh, and doesn't break the tension, just lets you sit and marinate in it 
and absorb her pain and maybe interrogate you about that joke that she told five minutes ago and ask you why you thought that was funny. Why was my suffering funny? And that's what they love so much. They love the anguish. They love the ardor because it is a sign of your um, your prudent understanding that suffering exists in this world. And if you don't dutifully dwell on it every second of your life, you are sacrificing a moral mission to advance the progressive project and make the human experience just a little bit more you know, tolerable. This is a very puritanical ideal. When it comes I've to never heard. Go ahead. Uh, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I've got to take a quick break. I want to get to the apology, and then I want you to explain a little bit deeper this this anti-comedian. I had never heard that term before, anti-comedian. And, and, you know, it's different than, like, Andy Kaufman, who just, for his own entertainment, would just make people wildly uncomfortable. Uh, but that's a completely different uh, look, as I understand it. We're talking to Noah uh, Rothman. He is the author of The Rise of the New Puritans, a great book. You want to understand what's going on with the left and this new religion and how it, it affects everything? The Rise of the New Puritans by Noah Rothman. Back with him in 60 seconds. Um, you can't talk your way out of pain. If you happen to be living with it, you can't reason your way out. And you have to play that delightful game where you keep trying things until either something works or you're just like, okay, I'm just going to have to live like this. I got to that point and my wife made me take relief factor. I, they were a sponsor of uh, many of my shows, but I never endorsed them because I didn't think it would work and I had never tried it. And uh, my wife said, why aren't you taking that thing that advertises? And I said, relief factor. And she said, yeah. And I said, cause it's not going to work. It's an anti-inflammatory. Hey, I'm on ibuprofen 800. Look out. I'm a little loopy. Don't let me drive. And uh, I said, those things never work for me. She said, just try it. So I tried the three-week quick start, and I was shocked, shocked that it worked for me. This is where most of our pain comes from is inflation. Uh, Sorry, not inflation. Inflammation. Can you see what I have on my mind almost all the time? Um, inflammation is a source of much of our disease and it's also a source of our pain. That's what they target with relief factor in four different directions. Please just try it for three weeks. Do the three week quick start. You can find out more about it at relieffactor.com relieffactor.com. Get the three week quick start, 1995 relieffactor.com or call 800, the number four relief 800 for relief relieffactor.com. Feel the difference. 10 seconds station ID. No, I would uh, I would love to uh, do a podcast with you and spend, uh, you know, at least an hour with you on this this topic. You've you've really nailed it. Uh, The book is The Rise of the New Puritans. Um, Tell me about the apology. So when we all we are often bombarded with demands that you apologize for your conduct, the apology provides you no absolution. Um, And that's where I differ from a lot of the very uh, brilliant scholars uh, who have called this a purely secular faith. I don't see it as entirely a faith, because in a faith in the Western tradition, there is deism that expiates sin. There can be no absolution 
for sin in this particular faith, because there is no deism. Uh, and because it is such an all-encompassing social code, I, I liken it more to Puritanism, because Puritanism wasn't just a faith. It wasn't just congregationalism. It was a way of life. It was a totalitarian philosophy by definition, mm. because it was total. Um, when it comes to the apology, the apology, as we've all observed, um, makes you just a more delicious target and trains more fire on you. Um, and this isn't just true in comedy. This is, there's several uh, examples of that in the comedy chapter, but there's a particularly interesting anecdote that I lead off the book with about a, um, a grocery, a grocer in, um, in uh, Minnesota that was, again, very popular. Very successful. It was feted uh, by Keith Ellison on the house of the floor of the House of Representatives. Diners, drive-ins, and dives. Guy Fieri featured it. So it turned out that this, the owner of this grocer, had a daughter who, in her youth, uh, fourteen and eighteen respectively, made racially insensitive remarks online. This was picked up by uh, the online community that they attempted to force him to uh, to apologize and uh, and to uh, make absolution for his sins. He had to fire his daughter. Uh, that was not good enough. He pro- pledged that mm. she would devote herself to good works for the community. That was not good enough. Eventually, uh, the holder of his lease terminated the lease because oh my god, it was because that was the pen- that was the penitence that was deserving of the sin he had committed, the uh, careless parentage of a willful daughter, and this this is as moral a code as you could find. It goes mm. back to the founding of the country, but when you are apologizing in any other tradition you would find some absolution this particularly uncompromising tradition offers no uh no absolution for offenses against it it is uh, I, I will tell you you're right about this as as a um a, a completely different kind you don't call it a religion i do i just think it's an an anti-christ style religion there is no forgiveness uh, and without forgiveness, we f- we cease to function normally as a society. You 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 just can't live in a society where there is no forgiveness, where you're held accountable not only for everything you've ever done, but also anything your ancestors have done. That's a pretty shallow pool of good people that can be swimming around. Um, <laughs> no, thank you so much for for being on the program today. I'd love to have you back. Love to do a podcast with you. Uh, the book is The Rise of the New Puritans, Fighting Against Progressives, uh, Progressives' War on Fun. Noah Rothman is the author. Back Thank in a minute. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. You bet. The Glenn Back Program. I want to talk to you about a great way to do good. Uh, Right now, times are tough. Inflation is sky high. Prices on all kinds of things from gas to your heat. Everything is up. So when you do good, you have to really look at it as who's going to give the most money to what you care about. Who's going to use that money the most effective way? The great investment is in Tunnel to Towers Foundation. Since 9-11, they've been helping our families of our veterans and our first responders. And when the worst happens, somebody doesn't come home or they come home severely injured. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation comes in and helps make a difference. They pay off the mortgages. If, if a police officer doesn't come home, they'll pay off the mortgage so they, the family is cared for. They build smart homes for heroes who need them. 
They do, in short, all the service that is desperately needed, and you can help. Would you consider donating $11 a month at T2T.org? That's $11 a month at T2T.org. The latest on everything with Cheney and more on Studios America tonight, followed by Glenn TV. Don't miss it. BlazeTV.com slash Glenn. Uh, hopefully we're going to have uh, Sean Reyes on, or the Attorney General. I think he's the best Attorney General in the country right now. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about ESG and the overreach from the uh, federal government. And I was just saying earlier, why does the the Department of Agriculture have an armed force? And I told you at the time, and many people thought I was joking, it's because of those Amish. And uh, I mean, sometimes those Amish just get out of control. And what are you going to do? You gotta have an AR-15 to go in there as the Department of Agriculture Defense Force and take those Amish out. You know what I mean? Uh, and lo and behold, I get this a story in. Amos Miller, a Amish farmer, contends he's preparing food the way God intended, but the United States government doesn't see things that way. And he is apparently refusing to abandon traditional farming practices. He doesn't use gasoline or oil products. He also doesn't use uh, fertilizer. So, uh, you know, and it's all organic. And the uh, government doesn't like it. So they are stopping. Thank God they're finally taking a stand on these damn Amish. And I can say that. We can say whatever because they're not listening. Well, they can use electricity. Uh, they, they're banning their grass-fed beef, their cheese, their raw milk, their organic eggs, uh, and their um, grass-fed water buffalo, and all types of produce um, because um, they're dangerous. They're dangerous, according to the federal government. We'll give you more on that story tomorrow. Um, we have uh, Sean Reyes on with us. He is the attorney general. And I was asking Stu earlier today off the air. I've never, ever gotten involved in uh, attorney general races. I've never, you know, I'm the attorney general and I'm running for uh, my race in X state. I've always been, uh, yeah, okay, uh, they'll find another show to be on. I can't tell you how important the attorney generals are in our states they are, they, the sheriffs and the treasurers are the last line of defense. And if you don't have one that understands the Constitution and has a spine and will stand up for it, your state's going to be in trouble. And Sean Reyes is uh, joining us now uh, from the great state of Utah. Hello, Sean. Lost my. Uh, hey, Glenn. How are you doing? Lost my hearing. My good friend, can you hear me all right? I've, I can't hear anything. We are uh, we're having a little some technical uh, difficulties uh, here. Uh, sorry about that. Um, why don't you give us as Glenn's kind of reconnecting here? Give us a give us a picture of. Hey, Glenn. Uh, hello. Can you guys hear me? Okay. Now we're not hearing anybody at all. Okay. Um, why don't we put him on hold and we'll come back to uh, him here in a second. Uh, we were going to talk to him about some of the ESG stuff going on and all of the uh, all of the nonsense that has gathered around. 
this movement here in the past uh, few m- months and years. And really, it hasn't been something that I think most Republicans or conservatives had really followed at all uh, over the past couple of years as it developed into something much, much larger. You have a situation where we know like we can go back to Al Gore and we can find people talking about uh, getting rid of the combustion engine so many years ago and something that seemed so completely impossible and futuristic uh, that it could never come. And then you see the news yesterday that the Challenger and the Charger from uh, you know the you know one of the main muscle cars you you consider in the United States is going to be going all electric here in just the next couple of years. They're talking about the next versions of the Challenger uh, and you know the Hellcat and the Red Eye and all their different versions of this are, are going to be it. They're going to be quote unquote electric muscle cars after that. This this, this is where you're taking the Attorney General. He's not here. He can't hear anything. So I'm trying to. I'm talking about oh, the SG okay. standards and how fast right. this has come. You've missed. Yeah, you've yeah. missed much here, Glenn. I've missed a lot. I don't know what happened to my uh, my ears, but I I can now uh, hear. And uh, I'll try. I'm sorry, audience. I'll try to get this show back on the rails. Well, I was trying. I was uh, trying to discuss this. We discussed no, this off the air before. No, we did. You cannot call a, an electric car a muscle car. No. No, no, no. You, and no. most people don't understand uh, that all cars, any kind of combustion engine, for the most part, except for it's not Ferrari, uh, might be Lamborghini. Do you remember which one it was? was it Bu- oh, Bugatti. Bugatti, yeah. With, with, with an exception of Bugatti, almost every car will be electric. Almost every car company is phasing the combustion engine out by 2030 to 2035. So you won't have combustion engines anymore. Well, that's a problem. And that means you won't have gas. So if you have an old engine, it's going to cost you probably 10 bucks a gallon if you can get it to run it. And they're getting rid of all. That's not the free market. That's not the free market. Sean Reyes is now joining us. I'm sorry, Sean. We had some uh, technical difficulties. Are you there? Problem. I'm here. Can you hear okay. me now, Glenn? I can. I can. Sean, um, it, I'm going to take a quick break here in, in, in just a second, then we'll come back and have a longer conversation. Um, but Absolutely. tell me why the attorney general's position is so critical in every state now. Glenn, we're the last line of defense to defend the Constitution, to protect people's liberties, their property, and especially with this administration, executive orders coming out every single day that threaten our liberties, trying to take away how we educate our kids, how we run our businesses. Everything, Glenn, it rests on our ability to stand up for the rule of law, and there's no one else in the position other than the attorneys general who are able to do that the way that we can through litigation, fighting back. Um, and, and Glenn, we appreciate your support because you've been with us out there as we've fought uh, this administration at the border. We fought them in the courtroom and all across this great nation. Uh, well, I think you guys are amazing. And I have met many, if not most or all of the attorney generals that are at least um, Republicans some of them are okay. Some of them are really good. Some of them, eh. 
Um, but uh, most of them are fighting hard with uh, against ESG for one uh, and fighting, you know, against this bloated government that is out of control. And I want to talk to you about that as it re- is re- in regards to ESG. ESG is taking a double hit from the, the states that are doing it right. And that is the attorney general and the state treasurer. And um, in Utah, the state treasurer is Marlo Oaks, who is taking yes. a big swing. And I want you to talk about that and what you've just done, which is, I think, the the uh, real. Well, I can't I, I couldn't decide which one is the knockout punch, taking the money away or hitting them legally uh, where they should be hit. And we'll go with Sean Reyes on that. And if you're an attorney general or you're you're. You're anybody involved in politics, you need to listen to what he is talking about. Sean Ray, as we continue here in uh, just a second. First, our sponsor this uh, this half hour. I'm sorry, I'm all screwed up. Uh, can you tell me what the sponsor is, Sarah? Uh, I want to break early because I want to keep him on. Uh, American American Financing is our sponsor this half hour. American Financing is going to help you uh, save money because we... We have to preserve our money so we can, A, take care of our family, but also do the things that we need to do to stay active politically to fight this machine. They are doing everything they can to uh, impoverish you. That's really what the IRS is about, to frighten you, to keep you in place, and to impoverish you. Remember, their goal is you will own nothing by 2030, and you'll like it. Well, that doesn't make sense. Not all just going to give away our possessions like Gandhi. They will take them because you won't be able to afford them. That's how this works. I want you to make sure that you are on rock solid footing with your loans, your credit cards, and everything else. I want you to call American Financing right now. Call American Financing. You can find them online at AmericanFinancing.net. That's AmericanFinancing.net. Or you can get them on the phone at 800-906-2440. Back with more Sean Reyes next. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. The Glenn Back Program. We're talking to uh, Sean Reyes, the attorney general, and I think the best attorney general in the country. And we have a few really good ones um, leading the way here on ESG. Um, and we also have a treasurer. I think the best treasurer in the country is from West Virginia on ESG. However, he's only taking on the E and not the S and the G. This is all important. So let's look at ESG and what's happening um, and how the attorney generals can approach it. What are you doing, Sean? Yeah, Glenn, thank you so much. And I appreciate, we all do your voice on this because you and I agree that this is one of the greatest existential threats to our liberty of our time. And most people it's, just don't it's understand. It's China. What ESG is. It's China yeah. if we fail. Absolutely. And here's the thing, Glenn, at best, and when I say at best, it's all bad. But at best, it's a very dangerous, risky gamble with other people's money, with the American public's money. Trillions of dollars of our pensions, 
and our investments. That's at best, but at worst, Glenn, it is an existential threat to the constitutional underpinnings of our republic because it undercuts the whole political process. It hyper-politicizes the boardroom, and it makes political mercenaries out of fund managers. You know, asset managers historically, the prime directive, if you will, for them, their fiduciary duty, what the law requires is that they maximize shareholder value, that they bring returns back in a healthy and responsible way. And ESG turns all of that on its head. It is the progressives way of totally uh, undermining the political process because they can't beat us on policies at state, uh, you know, uh, policy and, or at the federal level. So here, here's what the state AGs are doing. And I and appreciate what the treasurers do, Glenn. You mentioned them. They absolutely have helped us lead out on this. They raise a strong voice and bring awareness. But what they can't do that we can is investigate and with those investigations, then prosecute or litigate. And all of those things are in the works right now. I can't disclose everything that we're looking into. There are rules about that. I and it's not just it's not just are. it's not just you. There are multiple states involved in this, correct? Oh, no, no, absolutely not just Utah. We, we are one yeah. of the leaders, but there are so many other states. You're talking about right. Arizona. Kentucky, Texas, your, your home state of Texas, and the great Attorney General Ken Paxton there, all of us working together. We couldn't do it alone, Glenn, and it's such a huge undertaking that we wouldn't try to do it alone. We have to right. band together. And, and it's not just the AGs. It's not just litigation. We need legislators to create better policy Correct. to push back and fight back on this. And then we need fund managers. We need people like our friend uh, Vivek uh, Ramaswamy, to create alternatives so that people, yes. so that there's a market solution. All of these things are the solutions, but state AGs are standing at the forefront. We're the tip of the spear. We feel that burden and that responsibility, and we appreciate your prayers and all so, of your listeners helping. So when I, when I said last night on stage, you happen to be there, um, and I said, I think some enterprising attorney, there is a class action suit down the road. Because it's underperforming yes. the S&P 500. And this yes. is retirement money. So if I'm 50, 55, 60, 65, I'm getting screwed right now. And they know it. And they say, look, well, this is a 10-year window. Well, wait a minute. I may not have 10 years for my investment. What are you doing? And they're violating yes. their fiduciary responsibility because they want to affect politics. Absolutely, Glenn. You said it better than I. They're taking your dollars and they're voting your dollars for their policies. Net zero orthodoxy. We're talking about they, they make it sound like it's inevitable that this this is all going to happen and, and we all have to jump on board. That's how they try to cloak um, th- these very you know short sighted investments. These are not good investments. Now, I, I do want to say, Glenn, because I know you and I agree, we, we ought to be good stewards of this earth. And conservatives get short shrift um, that we, we ought to be paying mind to how to protect our environment. But we should not mortgage away the rest of our lives and our freedom in some silly effort to push one particular uh, you know, brand of orthodoxy. And, and again, that's, that's how they treat it. And they demagogue everyone, right? Anyone who, who dares stand up against their orthodoxy, even Elon Musk, a person who's built a, a tech titan, 
a great leader who's built his entire empire on, on a green approach, uh, a, a very responsible approach, they have demonized him with this ESG. We just yesterday, as, as state AGs, pushed back against the SEC because they're looking for comments on a proposed rule, Glenn. This rule would require fund managers, again, not to just worry about trying to maximize return for shareholders. It's hard enough to do that, but now they want them to start reporting all of these ESG criteria. It's what Standard & Poor's um, did, and that's why we in Utah let out pushing back against them, saying, no, 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 you can't shame everybody into this. This is not right. based on merit. This is like uh, sometimes I've called it um, corporate affirmative action. It's not based on merit. It's just an it end that you want to perpetrate. Anyway, Glenn, I know that you've got other guests and other things to talk about, but thank you so much for letting me get on. I appreciate it, uh, Sean. Is there anything that the American people all across the country should do to be able to help guys like you? What can they do? Uh, Absolutely. First of all, reach out to your attorney general and express some, some, some support for pushing back against this. This has to remain a priority for us, but also get involved with your state legislature they need to pass better laws that we can then go out and enforce that's how the american people can get involved educate yourself on esg it is a huge threat god bless you glenn beck thank you sean sean reyes uh attorney general all of the republic most of the attorney generals who are republicans are on board on this and they are a last line of defense and support your treasurer in your state as well if they are pushing back The Glenn Beck Program.